May I ask, what are your plans for International Women's Day? The CNY Women's Summit is just around the corner, and trust me, you won't want to miss it. March 8th, 2024 is going to be packed with thought-provoking discussions, engaging breakout sessions, and a community-building celebration. We are on a mission to inspire women to confidently lead with purpose, resilience, and innovation. Let's embrace the fact that leadership is not a one-size-fits-all sort of deal. Whether you're a budding entrepreneur or a corporate baddie, every woman has something to gain at the CNY Women's Summit. Picture this, an absolutely incredible lineup of speakers and panelists, and fireside chats, 20-minute and intentional conversations with leadership experts on topics that will leave you feeling inspired and ready to take on the world. And let's not forget about the networking roundtables, which are always the most favored part of the summit year over year. These sessions will provide the perfect opportunity to connect with like-minded women and dive deeper into topics that open up the floor for us all to educate and inspire each other. For a limited time only, Cultivate Podcast listeners will get 20% off general admission when they use the code CULTIVATE20 at checkout. And for more information, please visit www.cnywomensnetwork.com slash summit. That's www.cnywomensnetwork.com slash summit. This episode is brought to you by Kith Studio, a 1,300-square-foot creative and community space in Syracuse, New York. Hi, I'm Alex Canavan, and welcome to the Cultivate Podcast, brought to you by the CNY Women's Network. Tune in every Monday for conversations with Central New York's finest. I'll be interviewing an array of entrepreneurs, executives, and changemakers, so be sure to keep your notes app handy. Here's your friendly reminder that no matter where you are, the sky's the limit. This opportunity came up for VaynerCamp that we went and we saw this place and we didn't even know what we wanted to do. Or we just knew it was, yeah, it was a cool great opportunity, location. great location. Like, yeah. Let's go check it out. And we went there and like, it, it has a very interesting like effect on people just driving into this Energy. place. It's, yeah, it's 850 acres. It's a private, you know, it's its own lake. It's like just in the middle of nowhere with nothing except cool old trees. It's the most immersed in nature I've been in a long time and I go to the Adirondacks a lot but the Adirondacks have a lot of people there you know like you you hike and you're always running into somebody this place is like there's nobody there's you're just out there and it's a really cool feeling that we all felt and it was very easy for me to tie that feeling back to common space so like that feeling was the same feeling I feel when I deeply connect with somebody it's the same feeling like this idea of like oh man I belong here or I like this feels right Hello, how are you? Welcome to the Cultivate Podcast presented by the CNY Women's Network. I am your host, Alex Canavan, and this week's guest is Troy Evans, founder of Common Space Properties Incorporated. Common Space Properties, Inc. is a development company that creates and manages inclusive spaces that cultivate connective human experiences. Troy and his partners turn undervalued places into thriving hubs for human connection. Now, you're most likely familiar with Common Space, the co-working living spaces that are located in downtown Syracuse. There's three different buildings that they own. They have a much more community-centric ethos, if you will. So the way that these apartments are designed are specifically like a breeding ground for human connection, which I absolutely love. I really think you're going to enjoy this episode. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with Troy. We not only talk about the origin story of Common Space and how that came about, but we also get into his latest project, which is Vander Camp. 
a very remote, very exclusive and luxurious boutique hotel resort located in Cleveland, New York. I was just on the website and checking out their availability because I think I'm going to book myself a little getaway soon with my fiance. So a couple of the lodges are pet friendly and there's a lake on the premise and dozens of trails for you to hike. There's a little over 850 acres of land that this resort is located on. You have access to all of those 850 acres. So it's incredible. I love how this guy's brain works. I think you guys are really going to want to follow him after this episode because you just get a really good idea of who he is as a person. So without ruining the episode and babbling on too much, let's welcome Troy Evans to the Cultivate podcast. Troy, pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you. Awesome to be here. I would love to hear the origin story of Common Space. I love the concept and simply just bringing people together and giving them a space to work and enjoy their work is something I'm super interested in. Yeah, cool. Well, like everybody, there is a web and tree of decisions and the stuff that's happened to make Common Space that was certainly not just me. But it all stems from the same trunk of the tree, we'll say. So this idea of like trying to create deeper, more meaningful connections for other humans. And that's morphed into all sorts of things now, not just connecting two humans together, but now Vaynercamp, which we'll get into, is this different kind of connection, connecting to nature, connecting to like this source or intuition or universe or God or whatever you want to call it. But I'm learning personally that it's all the same thing. So to answer your question, though, the Common Space brand originated out of uh, a need I saw for myself. So back when I was 30, I'm 45 now, so I'm getting pretty old. But I was going through this quarter-life crisis of what do I want to do? I'd been doing real estate stuff for a while. Back when I was in my 20s, early 20s, I started flipping houses and things like that to try to do an entrepreneurial sort of endeavor. And it went well, like we were, you know, I was doing houses and then a lot of the work myself. It was very solo kind of work though. So I was, you know, doing everything myself and... You were flipping the houses Flipping yourself? the houses. Yeah, this is before all the flipping shows were popular. So like 2003, 2004. How are you figuring all that out? Google and YouTube. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. How do you tile a bathroom? I don't know. Google it, figure it out. And I'd screw up the first three. And then by the fourth, <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm pretty good at this now. Never got great at it. But my whole goal was to like get out. I had a corporate job at the time and is to, and it, it was a great job. I, don't, I can't say anything about it. It taught me a lot about humans. We can get into that, what I was doing there, but it still wasn't, didn't fit me. Like I knew I wanted to do my own thing. I was always seeking that like freedom of my day. Like I just want to wake up every day and do exactly what I want to do. Like today I got up, went to a coffee shop, sat there for two hours, came, talked to you. Like it's a pretty good day so far. Yeah. So that's kind of it. I think that's why a lot of us get into businesses for like the control over our lives and yeah. how we spend our time and even control over our environment too. You got it. Yeah. It's that simple. It's not, it wasn't about money for me. Like I knew I needed money to have the freedom, but like it was really just about the freedom. Like I don't need a lot. I don't, you know, I have a lot of desires for fancy things. I just want to control my day. And if I can do that, I've got an, enough for sure. When you mentioned that the idea for Common Space didn't happen completely on your own, was this kind of oh, maybe yeah. an idea you were bouncing off of other people or did this, yeah. do you remember the moment this idea came to fruition? No, it was in the air. The idea was in the air and I'll explain what that means. So the, I went to SU to be a community engineer, graduated, moved to Philadelphia and lived in a garden apartment, like knew nobody, just went there like 
Yeah, it looked like a cool place. So I'll go check it out. Lived in a garden apartment. What is a garden apartment? You know, like one of those complexes out in the suburbs where there's like buildings with like eight units in them. Okay. Like, that's what you call a garden oh, apartment. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Okay. So like they're isolating. Like it, I always lived there by myself, which was just weird. Like I never, not only did I never talk to a neighbor, I never even saw a neighbor. Like you don't even see anybody in these things. But it was, you know, I met people at work that I liked and it was cool, but you're supposed to be working at work. So you couldn't really socialize. But it was still, I still remembered that experience in 2000. Four, I moved 2003 I moved back to Syracuse mainly to get into real estate like I I knew I wanted to start figuring out how to you know get involved in real estate somehow and Syracuse had the perfect opportunity because prices around here were like fifty thousand dollars for a house in Philly they were like 350 for the same house so with no money this was a better spot to land for uh, sure I think that whole idea kind of transcends across of a lot of different industries and things yeah I think Syracuse in general is a great place to get into things because there's that's there's true. space for it and it's a little bit more feasible yeah really low risk and you can actually see the impact right like it's the size of the yeah. place you can see you know some things come together whereas a place like Philly it's kind of really hard to make some sort of impact. So that, that kind of brought me back here, but it led to this, you know, get a job here, started flipping houses. I'll sum up fairly quickly, but 30 years old, back to the quarter life crisis, you know, kind of ended up quitting. I had enough real estate stuff going on at that time, I had some apartments and stuff like that, where I wasn't ever comfortable. Like I was never going to be, I was never going to be comfortable enough financially to quit. And I just like, I just said, whatever, I got to do it. Like I got to just pull the bandaid off and like, you know, then things will come. Yeah. Um, and people might assume that, you know, I just need to wait for the perfect yeah, moment. Yep. So there's not a huge risk for me to be leaving, yeah. but there's always going to be that huge risk. You got it. And that's what I was doing. And I finally figured that out for myself. Like I was waiting till, you know, this perfect alignment of stars came and then never came. So I just had to do it and it was risky. But like looking back now, obviously I can tell now that it was a very good decision. Like it helped me, it gave me a hundred percent of my time focused on my business which made it excel, you know, 30 times faster than doing it part-time. So mm -hmm. you were flipping houses, like doing residential yep. real estate. When did you transition into more commercial properties? So after I had left, I was working at SRC part-time here. After I left that job, focused full-time on real estate, I really just started selling everything. I was like, I don't even know if I want to do real estate. Like I don't ever call myself a real estate person, real estate developer. That's not what I am. I don't think that fits what I'm, what we're trying to do. So, and I felt that at that age, and I was like, I don't know, it's just kind of meaningless. Like, what does this have to do with anything? But it, it was again, it was like in solitude. I was doing. I didn't have any employees. So what I did was I just I hadn't done anything in downtown Syracuse. It was all in the suburbs. I started basically selling everything I owned and getting out of the things I didn't like. And I took a year and I just moved in downtown basically for my day work. I took a little office at the Tech Garden where they were toying with co-working model 40 below. They had this like test co-working space in the Tech Garden where co-working was just taking off in Manhattan at this time. Mm -hmm. And so I sat in this thing and it was like a little cafeteria in the back of the Tech Garden. It wasn't very fancy, but like I met like some awesome people in like the first week. And they were all doing different things, different small businesses. So like really had some great connections come out of that. And that inspired me to basically just keep doing more of that, connecting with people. It's something I hadn't invested any time in my younger years. I made this mission, like take a coffee with somebody new, like every day for a whole year. So like I would just started with like Bob Doucette, who's a 
a developer in town who developed Army Square back in the 80s, 90s. And, you know, this is a guy I looked up and I was like, he doesn't want to go to coffee with me. Like, what was this guy? I want to talk to some, you know, weirdo and ask him a bunch of questions. But anyway, got the courage to ask him. Of course, he said yes. I've learned that everyone says yes when, you know, say, hey, you're pretty cool and you sound like you know what you're doing. You want to talk? And what happened was, so I took probably like 300 coffees like that year. It was crazy. Met some, met everyone that I know today. And that tree of connections just grew like this person. I would meet with Bob and say, hey, Bob, who else should I talk to? Oh, you should talk to this person. Let me introduce you. You know, and then you're having way easier in than yeah, just like sure. cold calling somebody. So I kept doing that and listening to people. And I watched my emotions and like physical response to like just going through that process. And it was like, that was lighting me up, like just growing these networks of interesting people. So that why I say the idea was in the air, like other people were figuring out the same thing at the same time that like, how do I help other people do this? Like, how do I make it comfortable to reach out to somebody or to like say hi to your neighbor or to, you know, work in a place that's, it's not weird to like walk up to somebody and just start chatting them up. And, you know, it's not socially awkward because what I found was I was telling myself in my 20s that it's not normal to go up to somebody and start talking and asking them about themselves. Like that's socially unacceptable in our culture. If you have any tips or tricks about simply approaching someone, what do you say? Networking groups are tough for me, too. It's like walking into a room with 50 people. And everyone's it, there to network. Yeah, It can right. be a little awkward. Those aren't fun. And I will get back to your idea of what I do to help with that. And I don't think I'm good at it either. But what I found was like I'm way better one-on-one. Like, so that's why I did the coffee approach for me. And maybe that's me too. something other people can do is like, you don't have to go to networking events. Just go to the one-on-one approach or the small group approach. And mm-hmm. I'm way more comfortable in that. But in general, what I learned the hard way, and I think I do better now, but still I need to work on is like get to vulnerability quick. Like, don't talk about the weather. Don't, you know, yeah. you know, talk about these superficial things. It's like, you know, just dive into the tough questions. Like, what makes you tick? What are you working on now? And then intuitively listen, which is definitely hard these days where you're not thinking about what you're going to say next. You're really listening to this person and watching their facial expression. So when they say, oh, I'm good, you know, you say, eh, you said it in a weird way. You don't, you said you're good, but you don't see, I didn't get the vibe of good. I'll say that to somebody. And then they'll, you know, go into why maybe they don't have, they aren't good. And that's the interesting stuff, you know, when you get to the real stuff. And that's how I've found that networking works better. So even in a large room, you know, they're going up to somebody and talking to them is always awkward. But once you get to that, then you try to listen and like be vulnerable yourself and like dive into the good stuff. That seems to work for me. People want to have those deep conversations. Mm, yeah. And that's really what will set you apart. Some of these people that are attending a networking event might actually be quite dissatisfied with their job yeah. and they're look, maybe looking for new opportunities. So you're kind of bringing up a source subject for some yeah. without even knowing it. And instead, the better question to ask is, what are you doing right now that's really exciting? Yeah. Or even if you did ask that question, like, listen, watch their body as they respond. So like, what do you do? You know, and then they'll be like, oh, I'm a da, 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 and they'll put on this like fake, like bubbly kind yeah. of response. And be like, hey, you, you like it? Didn't, I didn't get the vibe that you liked it. Or like, just say stuff like that. And it's weird what, what people will respond with. Sometimes they won't open up, right? And they won't break down. And those are the least inter- interesting conversations. And then maybe you move on. But the people who will open up, that's what you want to keep talking to. Because then it's interesting. I think when connecting with people, listening yeah. intently and honestly is super, super important. Do you have any yeah. tips that you use to like 
remain present and to actually pay attention to you know people's flexions and voice and their body language? I don't know if there's a quick tip kind of thing for that. Like it's something that I've been super interested in for a long time and that's why Common Space exists is like I'm really into this stuff and I've been studying it for like so long that I've practiced and I've got a long way to go. Like even I, I don't do it all the time. Like I can do it when I'm in yeah. a good calm present state. But if I'm like, you know, stuff's going on in the business that's uh, on my mind, I have a hard time doing it. So like, it's just something like meditation that you just practice like and take deep breaths, like before you walk into an event or meditate before you go into an event. That's usually what I do. And it at least puts me in the good framework to have that opportunity to listen properly. I love that, especially with this podcast. I've noticed, I've learned a lot about myself and my ability to stay present and really present here in, in the conversation and not actually thinking, okay, what are we going to ask next? Yeah. What are we going to say next? Those are the hardest conversations when you have to think about what you're going to say next. Like it just flows when you're just there, right? And you're like present and it's not, yeah, there's no difference. Like you said, intimidation wise, there's no difference between anyone, any human to think that there's any difference or any, especially like emotional difference, like there isn't. And what we do is we tell ourselves that and then it creates that story. And now you're in a conversation with that story in your head. Yeah. As much as you can eliminate that, the better. Yeah, that's a really good way to think about it too, is that we're all just equally as competent and we're all the same. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, that's not, I mean, especially with what you do, it's not the reality that you see. The idea of equality or whatever is it's a made up construct that we're battling against, right? Like it's not real. It's like, but we've created this culture where it is real, right? And it's in people's heads and it creates all these complications. So like as much as we can break that down, you know, we're all going to be better off and at the right place in the universe or whatever you want to call it. I can tell now at this point that you're very into mindset and I'm just curious, like what do you consume? Yeah, a lot of Eastern religion type stuff like Deepak. I, I've read a lot of his stuff. I don't much anymore. Like he's, yeah, like everything like that though. Yeah, there's so many people like a, a guy like him. He's just very good at like translating very complicated things that we've known for centuries yeah. into like modern terms and like very digestible, digestible format. Yeah, so yeah. he's very good at that. You know, there's an infinite amount of people that have figured stuff like this out like thousands of years ago. And what I find fascinating, you ask what I'm into now, is like, it's very fascinating how science and Eastern religion in general is colliding, um, especially with like quantum physics. And like, I am, I do have a tech background, so I dive into that stuff. But like the merging of science and like stuff that people intuitively knew, you know, 5,000, 10,000 years ago is pretty fascinating. And now that it's getting talked about, especially, you yeah. know, in media. So now that we're on this topic, I already know that you have an interest in retreats yeah. and meditations, just kind of exploring things from a wellness standpoint, mental wellness. And that probably influenced your decision to get into what you're doing now with Vanderkamp. Yeah, for sure. And I'm just going to quick back up just to finish the common space thing because it's going to lead to Vanderkamp. But after I was going through that, those coffees with 300 people, I was like, how do I replicate this for people? And that's where Common Space was born. It's like, I'm going to create a place just like you guys are here that it's comfortable to run into people and just be like, hey, what are you, what's you up to? What are you working on? And like, get vulnerable quick. I want to create a place where you know your neighbors, where you walk out of your room and it's not a long hallway with, you know, dark lighting. It's like a cool gathering space as soon as you walk out of your door. So like, we built this first Common Space in like 2012, 14, somewhere around there. 
And, you know, you come out of your apartment and there's a shared kitchen or you come out of your other apartment on another floor, there's a coffee shop and then you come out in other spaces and there's a library. So like you're coming out and they're like these cool social places. And this was, you know, over 10 years ago now. And what, what happened was it worked. Like people fell in love and got married. People cry when they left, you know, I had to go back to the country that they, they were from, you know, people met business partners. People, you know, had these cool, you know, happy hours where they were, you know, going out together and like all spontaneous and cool stuff was happening. And it led me down this path of like, all right, this is a very important human need. And I want to keep trying to create that kind of connection for people. And I want to jump into a quick story. And this is probably what inspired me. One of the things that inspired me most to know that I was onto something because I didn't know if other people wanted this. Like I knew I wanted it. Do other people want it? I don't know. But they did this big study probably like 20 years ago where they questioned like everyone on the Chicago subway where, you know, you get in these subways and you're packed right in there. You're like right next to somebody and nobody talks. They just all have their headphones on, like we're reading and like there's no conversations happening. And so they surveyed like thousands of people on these subways and they asked, do you want to talk to the person next to you? That was one question. Then the other question was, do you think the person next to you wants to talk to you? And the disconnect was huge. Like basically like 90% of the people wanted to talk to the person next to them, but only 20% of them thought that the other person wanted to talk to them. So like the fact that everybody wanted to talk to the person next to them, but they didn't think the other person wanted to talk to them, even though they did, was fascinating to me. Like there's definitely a social cultural problem that isn't mm-hmm. real. The human need is there. How do you break down that barrier? I mean, that's just one of many limiting beliefs we tell ourselves. And, you know, everyone still does it. And it's, it's a hard habit to break. But these like yogis in, in the mountains have figured it out where you're like, all that talk is just made up. It's not reality. It's just the words that you're telling yourself, which create reality. And then here we are in an awkward cultural situation. So I think to jump to Vanderkamp, so like we've been doing Common Space for 10 years. We've got a bunch of places in downtown Syracuse now that are doing cool things. I think it's not a finished product. There's always like ways to improve it. But when COVID hit, you know, we were worried that it would change things. It did change the office space, the co-working side of things that kind of shut down. But, you know, I'm from the Catskill Mountains, so like a tiny town, the Catskills. I've always been in the woods, like my whole life. And I'm not a hunter or anything, but I just like would make forts in the woods and like just be outside in nature. And I was craving that big time when COVID hit. And so were my partners. And this opportunity came up for Vanderkamp that we went and we saw this place and we didn't even know what we wanted to do. Or we just knew it was, yeah, it was a cool a great opportunity, location. great location. Like, <laughs> yeah. Let's go check it out. And we went there and like it, it has a very interesting like effect on people just driving into this Energy. place. It's, yeah, it's 850 acres. It's a private, you know, it's its own lake. It's like just in the middle of nowhere with nothing except cool old trees. It's the most immersed in nature I've been in a long time. And I go to the Adirondacks a lot, but the Adirondacks have a lot of people there. You know, like you, you hike and you're always running into somebody. This place is like, there's nobody there's, you're just out there. And it's a really cool feeling that we all felt. And it was very easy for me to tie that feeling back to common space. So like that feeling was the same feeling I feel when I deeply connect with somebody. It's the same feeling like this idea of like, Oh man, I belong here. Or I like, this feels right. So it was like, all right, well, this is something. Let's figure out what it is. And that's where we are now, figuring out what it is still. We're trying to get people out there to do their thing. So like 
Meg Thomas and Tracy have been out there and Jamie and doing like these perfectly aligned, you know, wellness type things. Yeah, for sure. What we try to do is like set that stage earlier when somebody like books with us or we doing a retreat, like months before we'll send an email and say like, you know, it's, we crafted it with a lot of thought, but like basically get ready to slow down. Like this place, you're going to be in a very, you know, I good like... place, you know, and set that stage months ahead oh. of time. And then when they get there, they come in this road that's like a mile and a half long. It's really kind of scary because it's like a one lane road through the woods. You're seeing nothing, no houses until you get to the main area of the property where all the lodges are. But it's kind of, we kind of intentionally leave it a little uncomfortable. So like, hey, do I need a four wheel drive? I don't know. <laughs> like you don't, but it just gives you that kind of question. Like, am I in the right place? And like that whole emotional responses really want to keep it like this is a little bit adventurous and then yeah. i'm really going into the woods here we really need to create this thing together with people yeah. like we don't really know what to do we're just like winging it i think what we're struggling with is like what are we so like i grew up in the Catskills, and like you know there was always manhattan folks in the Catskills, mm -hmm. but at, when covid hit literally like 80% of the people there are from Manhattan now. And like they've kind of, you know, taken over the Catskills. We say the Catskills are crowded now. So like yep. that's our Vaynercamp tagline. It's like bougie now. Too. And it it's... is like they've really took these little motels. Like these yeah. are on main roads that I used to call main roads when I grew up on the highway. These little hotels with 10 rooms and they made them cool. Yeah, they made cool little restaurants and this Cute cool little vibe. Lodges. But they have like an acre of land, you know, it's like, but that's really woodsy for someone from Manhattan. And what we want to do is like, we want to make extreme remoteness for someone from anywhere, you know, Manhattan mm -hmm. or our area where like, this is different. This isn't a motel on a, on a main oh, yeah. road. It's very luxury meets like adventure. So mm -hmm. it's nice accommodations, but like pretty untouched outside. Super exclusive, yeah. you know, untouched, like you said. Yeah. I think that, you know, that's definitely a concept that you're bringing into this area. Yeah. And like anything we do, it's not unique. Like this is, I think most ideas are in the air. Most ideas are like, they're out there and everyone kind of like culturally comes to the same conclusions at the same time I've learned. So like, mm -hmm. no, there's no original ideas. Like if yeah. you have an idea, there's 30 other people that have it around the world. And this is something that's been around forever. And like, it just happened to be that like this opportunity mm -hmm. felt like a good fit for that sort of thing that we don't seem to have around here right now, like mm -hmm. that sort of escape. We have different kinds of escapes, but nothing that's like, I think what we're trying to do, which is really, again, about like engaging community, like the, the folks that are doing retreats up there and we're doing weddings now, but we're trying to do them in a way that are like very immersive. So you're there for three days, you don't come for four hours and then you turn over and the next wedding comes in. Yep. It's like you come Thursday, you stay till Sunday, you bring your whole family, mm -hmm. you just hang out on the property, you hike, you know, you go out on the boat, that sort of vibe around gatherings and same with retreats like you come like ideally for multiple days because it takes a while to detox like to come for a day event is cool it takes really a whole to, day to yeah. get settled in and right. to like get into that space too, yeah. where you're like in retreat mode right exactly and you can only sometimes it only happens on day three you know where you're really like oh, all right now i'm relaxed so we're trying to do more of that spend more time up there and try and encourage people to do that and do our own retreats like solo retreats you know where we send people into the woods and you know they're by themselves for three days and we bring food and stuff but that's kind of it and then like even silent retreats no talking things like I that mean, we're trying to introduce especially for people who are, have to be creative for a yeah. living and like i mean it's really only when you create that space and time 
for solitude yeah. where like the real ideas come. A lot of us don't realize, but like we're constantly being influenced yeah. by someone else. How do you really know if the decision you want to make for your business or yeah. your life even like is your decision? Yeah. Well, that's a great point. Like the idea of how other people impact you and other your environment impacts you. Like I would encourage you to pay attention to this and everyone like watch like the group of people and their energy. They are going to impact your energy so much. Like if everyone's down and like pissed off at each other, you're going to have that same energy. If everyone's at a retreat and they're all like present and like mindful, all that affects your energy. Same with like the trees. If you're in the woods, like mm -hmm. it affects your energy, your, oh, your environment and where you're at. So like it's really important, like probably the most important thing we can do for ourselves these days is like get out of your environment, get around good energy or whatever you want to call it and see what sparks it. There's a lot of like wisdom there. Most of our day, we ignore it. We're like too busy to pay attention to it. I mean, the world moves so fast yeah. and we're constantly feeling the need to catch up. But yeah, you got to chase those wormholes. Like what interests you at this time? And they're going to make you, like my wife gets mad at me because I have like all these books on the shelves that I really never touch, but like she wants to throw them away. I'm like, that's my identity. Like that is who I am. Like even up to the stuff that I look at now and say, oh my God, I can't believe I read that. But like, it's still like part of me, like mm -hmm. everything that I've inputted into my life, not just books, has made, you know, all of my thoughts today. And I do consciously try to craft that even now. Like, all right, I don't want to be around this type of person or I don't want to read this type of thing. I don't want to watch this type of news or whatever it is because it will impact me and who I become because I know how my thoughts make me. Yeah, I have to ask. I wasn't even like thinking about this question before we sat down, but like, Given what you're creating with Vanderkamp and, and I, from what I know to be new research on, you know, the power of psychedelics and these kind of retreats. And yeah. I know that I'm in. <laughs> what you're creating is probably perfect for a controlled environment for maybe some journeys. Is that something you'd be interested in bringing to this area? Uh, yeah, if it were legal. And I think it will be. I think there is so much data out there and again i'm into the science of the things and like and if you look at the history of why that stuff was outlawed is fascinating like it was really cultural made up stories on why you know psychedelics in general were outlawed drugs not all drugs are created equal psychedelics aren't addictive and they have a different mm -hmm. impact on the mind they're usually a one-time and done thing for people that the shamans and the ancients have been doing you know for thousands and taking and thousands very of years. seriously too yeah and it's a ritual and it's like there's reasons that they were doing that to really connect to the source or whatever, you know, like to open their eyes and, and decloud things. It's been out there, though, this knowledge and it's our culture, mainly just our Western culture, has demonized it for so long that you're growing up thinking every drug is bad, everything is bad. Drugs are what? Drugs are, you know, Tylenol or drugs, you know, psychedelics. Like, we're, we're, oh, some are okay, some are bad. Alcohol, that's not a drug. Okay, weird. But like they all have impacts on us when we consume them. So to label them is challenging because someone labeled them for reasons and we need to like maybe just throw all the labels out and then reevaluate how they can help people. And so they are finding like, you know, psychedelics have huge impacts on like trauma and stuff like that. And also around like, you know, the hippie movement of the 60s was based on that. Like that peace love came from psychedelics pretty much like it's fascinating that was the impact and that our western culture felt threatened by that you know oh, because for sure. I it mean, kills capitalism and yeah. you know the machine and it would and it did and it hurt but did it hurt humanity no that's it's probably mm -hmm. a very good thing in general and it would be cool to do something like that 
Well, now I actually recently uh, saw something about like a ketamine retreat in yeah. like Casanova or something. Yeah, I, I think we're we aren't smart enough to do those things. Like we don't have you know the knowledge to do that safely. But we want people that are the best of the best to come do it there mm-hmm. and just create that space. That's what we would like the brand to be. Is like this is where you go to do those things, yeah. you know, for all the retreat planners out there. That's what we want you to, we want to partner with you to like do your thing here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are things we don't want to do, especially any sort of like thing that would hurt nature or that environment. We don't want to do there. But if it's, if it fits the wellness vibe, like I think it, it belongs at a place like that. So, and then I, and, you know, on the psychedelics thing, I don't, you know, I went down this wormhole where like, yes, that's awesome. That's the answer. Like, why isn't everybody doing psychedelics? And now I'm, the more I learn about it, I'm, I don't think that is the answer for everyone for sure. Because there's so many other ways to get that information, like mainly mm-hmm. around like meditation and stuff breath like work. that. Like breath work for sure is yeah. very similar to psychedelics. Like I've done it and yeah. had the same type of experience. So like you don't need the, that. It, mm-hmm. it can aid some people. But you're really trying to get to the same place. A couple of years ago, I discovered transformational breath work, which mm-hmm. is... Not necessarily an exercise to like calm down the nervous system. It actually yeah. ramps it up a bit, but you end up like cracking open and having the most insane breakthroughs. And when I talk about my experience doing that breath work, it's very similar to my friend's experience that, you know, used hallucinogenics for the same purpose. So Yeah, there's many ways, but they go to the same place. Have you tried transcendental meditation? I know you need to like go and kind of take a course in it right no you can do it on your own like it helps to have a guide or whatever but yeah i've I've done it on my own not with a guide or anything i, I think what i've learned about like spiritualism in general is like there's so many avenues to the same place and like i've found something that works for me mm-hmm. that i haven't explored a lot of other options even though i would like to i think what i've struggled with is finding other people locally that like could help with that right like a guide or a guru or whatever you want to call it that would like be or a a zen master what do you think has been like the biggest struggle in opening up these spaces where people connect the hardest part is explaining it in like you know our short time sensitive culture where you need you get like you need the you get a billboard or you get like a you know a flash of a 30 second video and trying to explain like this hour-long conversation of what we want that place to be in a marketing message is the hardest. Like social helps a lot. Like we do, Vaynercamp especially, do a lot on Instagram. It does help to have that time to like be able to customize your content and and really present the message you want. But you got to get people out there, right? We have like 10,000 followers, but we need millions, you know, to like really get the message out there. So that's the hardest part. And even with like Common Space, when I started it, I would say nine out of 10 people told me they didn't get it. Like, what? don't do that. Like, that's that doesn't make any sense, right? Like, because it all sounded like a dorm. You know, it sounded, what in my head, what it was different than what people were hearing. Now I think people understand it a little better because it's been around so long. But it's very hard to, like, explain this mm-hmm. connection piece that Kind we're, of package we're it up and, and sell it to people that, yeah. you know... So they understand. And not in a weird way. Like, it can't be too, like, woo-woo, we call it. Like, it can't be, like, too out there. It's got to be, like, tangible and, like, all right, I could see myself living there. And and all across all spectrums of where people are, whether they're super introverted or super extroverted or super spiritual or not. Like, you want it to be comfortable for all people because that diversity is what creates a cooler space. Like, it can't be all one type person. 
because then it's like a cult or it's weird. It's like this <laughs> yeah. huge, diverse group and like common space here in general. Like that's probably been our biggest success is like it's really diverse. Like age, we have like an 80-year-old living here now. He goes to happy hours with 20-year-olds and like, you know, diverse races and sexes. It's like it's really cool. And now we have adults with disabilities that we've rented some units to. So like it's really like, a real world experience where you're not around the same type of person. And that is so key in growing and connecting, I think. So we're still shooting for that. So a huge reason for me to start seeing my women's network was because I didn't have the same educational experience that most people my age had, like just going to school right after high school, going for the four years. And I really noticed in my work in the wedding industry that all these bridesmaids here that I'm doing makeup for right now yeah. met in college. Yeah. How do I make friends now that kind of align with my values yeah. and I don't want to meet them in a bar and yep. what do I do now? So yeah. I've kind of just been like yeah. creating the space for me to honestly make the that, connections I'm craving. That's awesome. Yeah. See that you and I are very similar in that. I did the same exact thing. Like I've made common space for me. It was a very selfish endeavor. I wanted to connect with other people. There wasn't a place where that was normal and and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that's what you have to do. And whether it can be a book club, it doesn't have to be as big mm -hmm. as you went, but like, it could be anything. Just like, let's do a meetup, you know, on meetup.com or whatever. Like, just trying to get around people that you think you might connect with. And it, what I've learned is like, there's no secret to creating valuable, long lasting connections. It's time. Mm -hmm. You got to spend time with people. Like, that's why college dorm rooms work. You land there, you don't know anybody. You're forced to spend time with these people. And at first, like I remember my experience, you don't really like them. Like, you know, like, it's awkward for like the first month and then two months, you have a bunch of experience together. You go out. Now you have these stories together. And, you know, a year into that, you have like hundreds of stories that we've think, done things together. And now it's a bond and it's a friendship. And like, you can really create it with anyone. Like, you don't even have to have common interests. Like a mm -hmm. lot of the time, it's just having, spending the time together and creating those relationships. Like, you know, like your family, like you probably don't, get along with everyone in your family, but that time you've spent together has created this lifelong bond. Well, I have here on my cue card a little headline from Syracuse.com back in 2019. And I think this is a quote from you. Don't be selfish. Help people achieve. Oh, God, that sounds boring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that says a lot, though, with your mission. I mean, you're in the business of connecting people and kind of providing the space for people to connect, but it really is people-driven. Yeah. and. You know, I know there's a million different businesses out there people can start, but I guess would I be wrong to assume that you're more driven by impact and people rather than like profit and business? I wish I could say definitely yes to that. I want to be and I try to be. I have to work on doing it. So like I don't chase things for money reasons, but I have to tell myself not to. But we so still like, have yeah. to make money at the end of the day. Yep. Yeah. And, no, and the only way anything's valuable is if someone will pay you for it. Right? Like, so then you know you're onto something like and there's nothing wrong with that. If you make a product that no one pays you for forever, then it's not valuable enough. They're not willing to pay for it. So then you got to pivot. You got to change it up. And I've done that lots of times. Like I thought something was like, yeah, this is going to be great. People are going to love this thing because I love it. But it, it doesn't work out. And that's fine. Can you give so, us an example of that? So our first co-working space was set up as a nonprofit. Right. And it was all open space so like no offices right is what i thought the product was and groups that we built it together thought it was and it was fine you know it, it brought people in but it never made any money it didn't even break even right so like we had to pivot and change it up basically so now what we do with our shared workspace is 55 private offices people still in this market wanted their private office as much as it was working in manhattan 
to like come in and take a desk and be right next to somebody. It didn't really work in Syracuse like we thought it would. So we had to change it and we had to change up the design. And, you know, now we have 55 private offices. We do have like still shared open spaces, but it's um, the minority, not the majority now. So things like that. And just because like a business isn't working doesn't mean you have to trash the business. It just means you need to make small adjustments. Yeah, listen to your customer, listen to like what is, see what's working. Like we saw, we did have like a few offices in that first space and they were always rented. It's like, all right, we're onto something there. Like, let's do more of those. And we did more and they were rented. So like, okay, this is what people want. Not that. Okay. Um, so you kind of based it off of like what you were seeing that was successful in the business rather than doing yeah. like conducting a market research to. Yeah. Your- I've never done market research. Like I probably cause I was too cheap and didn't have any money. Like it, some of those things are very expensive, but done our are, own yeah. research, you know, our own. You're intuitive. Investigation. Yeah, we try to be, but then you're wrong. Like the problem with intuition is it's not, there's no good gauge for it, right? Like you feel it and you're like, all right, let's go that way. And then you got to like yeah. keep paying attention because you got to, there's no straight path. You got to keep. Yeah. Directing. I mean, I think, you know, there's a time and a place to go with your gut, but I think when it actually comes to the really big ideas, like your decision with Vanderkamp, the feeling that you got physically, internally, yeah. That's it's, when you listen to your intuition. But when it comes to the finer details of like yeah. actually scaling and increasing profits, there's got to be a little bit of market research going on there. True. Yes. No, no doubt. Yeah. It's all about learning and like there's nothing wrong with market research for sure. If you are struggling where to go next, like take yourself out of it and just talk to your customers. Yeah. It's funny. We just had this same exact conversation about Camp. We're going to build out like new amenities, like should we put a pool in? Should we put more hot tubs in? Should we put a, a restaurant in? Which is really hard because it's small. And then we were like trying to decide, right? And I'm like, why don't we just ask everybody? <laughs> but I think back to your point about like pivoting, like something we didn't realize about Vanderkamp was like we built it kind of for ourselves. Like we do everything like we would like this place and we're three guys. And, you know, it'd be cool if it were like this, but it was like really, you know, luxury, but like rustic. And so we kind of built it following intuition. And what we know now is like 70% of our customers are women between like 25 and 45. Totally didn't expect that because we've built it in a way that's like inviting and like this wellness approach. And like, it's cool because now we like have like, all right, let's figure this thing out. Like, how do we like figure out what this customer wants? And like, how we do we make need it? a bold and vibrant man to start hosting men's retreats because we need yeah. to get more men into wellness yep. there's a need for sure like i, I know sure. lots of people that would really enjoy that and they travel around the world to go yep. to them but like yeah there's nothing locally i agree that's something we want to do and whether hopefully we don't have to do it ourselves we find that partner that can do it and knows how to do it well because there is a lot that goes into retreat planning in general like mm-hmm. how do you make it very effective and choreographed in a way yeah. that like delivers that perfect experience so yes that would be awesome that's our dream that is like if you wanted to ask what the goal was of anarchy it's like let's get the best of the best up there mm-hmm. like locally. joe dispenza yeah, we're, we're right. claiming it right well, now like we made this vision board like back when we created the space and mine was like i want the dalai lama there which is super unrealistic yeah. but like the idea of like all right that's the goal like everyone under that realm too yeah um, for sure i can see that i mean especially with the remoteness and yeah. just automatic you know, an yeah. exclusive luxury experience. It's just- I think that's where we need help. Like right now, we've been building it and we kind of, you know, we're on this path, but we need help. So like, this is maybe an ask I would have for you. And everyone is like, we need someone to help us create that. Like find these cool retreats, find, like do the market research, go 
talk to, you know, Joe Dispenza and see if we can get him up there and what it costs to get him up there and like test some of that stuff out. It's a lot of work. And even around our marketing and brand strategy, like we want to spend more time and effort like getting all that right. So we're looking mm-hmm. for help for that. Yeah, for stuff. sure. Well, we can all make the assumption when we look at someone's success or maybe we've seen their name around town. We make you up this kind there. of yeah. persona in our head, but you're, you completely proved me wrong today, Troy. Good. <laughs> well, that's a lesson for myself too. Like you think someone has it figured out. They don't. I just love that you bring that up. We're all just really figuring yeah. it out as we go. And yeah. that's what it's all about. You don't have to have it perfect. Yeah. Well, that's like the most powerful thing I think that the powerful feeling I get. Like it really like makes me feel comfortable that I know that no one knows what the hell they're doing. Like I really do know that intuitively. And it makes me feel so like good. Like I don't either. This is great. It takes the pressure off. Yeah. Right. You know. Yeah. You don't have to compare yourself to somebody or try to achieve what they're achieving. Like so here's to not figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah, Here's to not figuring it out, guys. I loved it. I love this episode. I'm so excited to bring this to our followers and kind of help spread the word of Common Space and Vanderkam. Thank you for joining me today. All right, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Be sure to leave a rating and review if you enjoyed yourself today and come back next Monday for another episode of Conversations with Central New York's Finest. I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode and I'm sure you're dying to check out Vanderkamp after this conversation. Again, Vanderkamp is located in Cleveland, New York, and it is a unique and immersive experience set within 850 acres of pristine wilderness. Every lodge and gathering place is intentionally designed to help you immerse yourself within the different elements of the property. They have carefully crafted spaces that encourage contemplation, conversation, and curiosity to celebrate the things that will make your experience with them magical. All right, you guys, that's all for this week, and I'll catch you in the next one.